Hey. Hi. Thanks, uh, Stefani, for making it on. I want to, b- before we get into anything, um, welcome to Copenhagen. Thank you. <laughs> is this your is this your first time? Pull up the mic a little bit towards you, just a bit more. Pull up the mic a little bit. Like, so let me. Yeah, there we go. That's fine. Perfect. Something like yeah, this. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, because then. The closer you are, the better it sounds. Okay. Perfect. So how close? Like that's good. Ten that's centimeters. That's fine. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Um, start again. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome to. Co- that's fine. We keep going. Welcome to Copenhagen. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, this is not my first time in Copenhagen. Okay. Um, but it it took me an unfortunate amount of time of life to realize how amazing Copenhagen is as a city, because I was really always only here when I was going to Roskilde Festival. Oh, nice. That's a good. That's a good reason. Yeah, and then that was obviously the peak of yeah. the trip, being in the music festival. So, and so I, I didn't have a good enough appreciation for Copenhagen, but now I'm really in love <laughs> with it. It's a good city. Uh, and how how long have you been? How many times have you been to Roskilde? Um, I went three years in a row, I think, or okay. maybe more. I yeah. don't know. Uh, at least three times. Yeah, yeah. and my wife is a. Is a like a proper Roskilde girl. I think she's been like 15 years in a row, okay. or 14 years, some some crazy amount. <laughs> That's impressive. That's <laughs> very impressive. Yeah, uh, pretty. I mean, she got me. Into, I think I've been three times as well. But then we had kids, and we're like, let's take a break. <laughs> but she did not. <laughs> or what? <laughs> <laughs> we, we we were we were negotiating. Like, should we actually? Because like, um, our first daughter was uh, is born in July. It's around the time as Roskilde, around the same time. We're like, we can just go. Like, <laughs> I'm like, isn't it a little too close <laughs> to the due date? Or maybe she's born. Uh, we're like, we can go for one day. We don't have to. We don't have to tent we can, or camp. Uh, yeah, awesome. The Danes. Uh, born in Roskilde. That's a good. Yeah, that's, that's a that's good. A good one. start of life. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Expectation very high. Um, no, but uh, we have. To, I have to thank uh, Ari for connecting us. So shout out Ari. Exactly. So Aww. thank you for making that happen because. And we, we we had our first conversation, was it last week? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're on the podcast. That's awesome. <laughs> that can happen. Yeah. yeah, I love that. That's uh, okay. Uh, but no, why don't you introduce yourself a little and bit? And you also met my husband. Last I week. did, yeah. <laughs> Your husband's, I mean, he might he might be as cool as you, if not slightly cooler. <laughs> I know. Depending he's on way cooler. He's, uh, really, I, it was really funny because I was talking to him and he started the conversation. Like, I think you talked to my wife. I was like, oh, who is your wife? <laughs> Let's provide context here. Like when? <laughs> yes, recently or a couple uh, of years ago? Uh, yeah. It's like, oh no, uh, Ari, uh, Ari um, I, love, I love saying it the right way if I can. Uh, uh, well such done. a cool Ari, name. Yeah. Um, he, he told me that there was a strong connection that Ari was always uh, kind of, tell me the connection with Ari. How do you know him? And let's talk about him for a second because while we started the conversation. <laughs> yes, exactly. Let's dedicate this podcast to Ari. <laughs> um, I know Ari from a small town in the north of Iceland. I'm from Iceland. Uh, and so is Ari. Um, and uh, we were together in gymnasium, I think. Like high school, right? Yeah, it's something like that, exactly. It's like high school, but it's a different system in Iceland. But we, we won't spend more time on that. Um, and so we studied together and had a lot of fun together uh, during that time. And then... Um, we sort of became like a small family, me and a few others, when I was living in Aarhus for not very long, maybe a few months. But it, you know what it's like when you move to somewhere where your actual family isn't. You sort of create another family there, a family of friends, you know, the people that are with you on like birthdays and celebrations and stuff like that. 
and Arewas, um, Are and a few others were, were that for me in Aarhus. And so every time he visits Iceland, we try to get him to stay on our couch, mm. mine and yours, which is really beautiful. And sometimes he does visit to be a guest lecturer at the University of Arts in Iceland or something like that. Mm. And then we'll try to get him for as long as we can, mm. ideally like a month or two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and it's funny because I, I know, uh, I know I was connected to Ari and his wife, Sophie, through a mutual friend of ours who was who kind of like uh, kind of a mentor of mine. And, he, and he's also kind of a mentor of Ari and, and, his, and his wife, Sophie. Mm. Uh, and, and it was just like I, I just moved to, Aarhus er- to the area around Aarhus uh, about two months ago. So I'm like, I don't know anybody either. And, and, and Ari's kind of become a friend now with, uh, with the crew at Use. And yeah. seem, I mean, I'm looking forward to catching up with them and get, maybe doing something with them. And it's a fun, awesome. it's a fun space. Yeah, Studio yeah. for X, yes. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, it's and a really nice place. He invited me to like their Friday. Like it's also just the kind of pe- per- people, he, person he is and the kind of people that are, you know, the crew is. I was like, let's meet for a coffee. He's like, oh, we can't meet for a coffee, but just come for our Friday bar. <laughs> And like meet everybody. I'm like, okay, <laughs> great. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, it was a fun uh, fun time. But why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> now we've talked about Ari. <laughs> now given him given him the credit for introducing us. Yes. Would you mind introducing who you are and and let's get into yeah. what you're busy with these days? And very very happy to. Where should I start and how long should it be? <laughs> Uh, we have we have a lot of time because my next guest uh, cancelled yesterday <laughs> for for good reasons. Uh, he tore he tore his bicep, so we have time. So oh shit! Why don't yeah. you why don't you get into it? Um, so, like I said, I am from Iceland. Uh, I um, have lived in many many places in Iceland. I had already moved thirty times when I was about sixteen years old. Mm. So why, li- why was that? If I can ask. Yeah, great question. Uh, <laughs> isn't it obvious? No, no I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> no. You crazy? Or exactly. No. Yeah. Um, it's a weird thing, but it, obviously, two kids, their life is normal, and so that never was a weird thing for me. Um, but it was basically just mm, I had very young parents. My mom was sixteen, and my dad was seventeen when I was born. Wow. So they were kids, having kids. Um, and my mom, um, well, I, I guess I was raised by a village type of thing. Mm. Uh, my mom's grand, my mom's mom and my mom's dad and my dad's mom and my dad's dad and all their siblings and all those folks. I mean, obviously when they're kids, having kids, that's what happens. And... I think that probably played a part in it. Like they were still studying, and so I was just like being moved around for wherever it made sense. And then my mom was probably probably a little bit um, f- trying to find some some place in life, um, and so she moved around a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, I came with her. Yeah, sure. Um, and um, yeah, I think that impacted probably. A lot, obviously, in my life. Uh, very curious by nature. And um, quick to adapt, I guess. Um, <clears throat> but I also have very strong opinions. Uh, um, but it's interesting that sort of uh, it was only later in life that I realized, like, I have to, uh, I have to be willing to have my own opinions because when you move around so much as a kid 
you're always just trying to figure out like, ah, okay, new environment. Who's here? What's everyone's role here? What is my role here going to be? What is everyone's opinion? What works here? What doesn't work? It's really interesting. Anyway, so then I um, just finished my high school and went to university, studied mathematics and philosophy. Um, and uh, from there went into genetics, uh, where I was, where I learned how to program. Although I would probably never actually qualify as a software engineer, but learned how to get by in managing distributed computing. Um, While you were working in genetics. Yes. How does that work? This is so Iceland is pretty unique, and I was working for an Icelandic genetics company called Decode Genetics. Um, and it's one of the four runners in correlating physical traits with DNA mutations. And the reason why we're able to do it is because we're um, such a homogenous nation. Because we're an island in the Atlantic and very few. We're like 360,000 or something right now. Um, <coughs> and so that means our mu DNA mutations aren't that many. So when we have them, it's fairly easy, they aren't very disrupted by all of the other mutations that everyone has, and so it's fairly easy to correlate them with physical traits in Iceland, within the Icelandic population, and learn something about how DNA affects our physical traits, like disease and stuff like that. So it is a really interesting or organization. It's more like academia, really, than I would say, as a business type of thing. Um, and I was there, and DNA sets are very, very big data sets. So the DNA set of a single individual is a really big data data set. And uh, how big? <clears throat> oh my God, you're putting me on the spot. What well, a ballpark! Like just to give, just get an idea, like comparing it to something else. Maybe. Yeah, I remember at least, for example, back when I was working um, at Decode, which was like 2011, a single person's DNA set would not be able to fit into like a USB chip. Wow of the USB chips that existed back then. Yeah, and that's just code. That, that's not that's not like, quote-unquote, heavy file. It's just code. Yeah, it's just a list of your A, C, T, G. Wow, crazy. Uh, yeah. So that's really interesting because it's, a, yeah, DNA sets are very, very big. So it's a, it's a sort of, a, a, again, like a data problem, I guess. It was a huge data problem. Yeah. And so when we were, you know, calculating... DNA mutations and like finding where they are and trying to find new locations for DNA mutations. Like, is there any place here that hasn't been discovered yet and things like that? <clears throat> then we had to do a bunch of computations in a lot of different computers. Sure. Um, and I was managing that. And then I was doing some research, stuff like that. And so that's really how I got into data. Mm. And then fast forward a mobile game called Quiz Up, um, which was a trivia game where you would compete with a random person in the world or your friend in some general or broad topic, like, I don't know, you know, mics or something, like types of mics could be a topic, um, or like general knowledge. Um, and it blew up, this game. It was an Icelandic company. Um, it reached a million users in its first five days. Wow. which was the fastest growing app in the App Store at the time. This was 2013. Um, and this record was later beat by Flappy Bird. Uh, for those of you who remember Flappy Bird. <laughs> um, 
I still have a phone that has a, a Flappy Bird app in it. I'm wondering how much I can sell it in like eBay for one day. Probably. <clears throat> I mean, if you make it an NFT, probably for a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. That's, okay. that's another. That's another. <laughs> Whole part of the tech world. Oh <laughs> yeah, we should cover the Web three discussion. Might as well in in, in data. Exactly. <laughs> While we're covering data AI, might as well cover Web three. Yeah, I think so. You're right. Yeah. Um, yeah, but so anyway, so I um, they reached out as someone who had worked with big data sets, and I joined QuizUp, and um, uh, QuizUp eventually reached you know 100 million people around the world, and was backed by Sequoia and Tencent, and it was a great team. I think we grew up to like 100 people or so. I grew the data team up to, um, and the growth team up to maybe like 16 people or so. Um, Cross-functional growth team of like developers and data scientists and UX researchers and um, all sorts of people. So, yeah, so learned a lot there. And over a three to four year painful period, we built a lot of infrastructure around uh, managing data quality while optimizing for developer efficiency as well. And fast forward a couple of years, um, I started another company with a couple of friends from Quizum. And uh, it only took us about five months to ship a product update that was based on incorrect data, which mm-hmm. was a pain point that I really related to at Quizum and triggered all my post-traumatic stress disorders. So we um, started Avo, which I am the co-founder and CEO of today, an analytics governance platform. That helps product managers, developers, and data scientists manage their analytics. We're going to get into all of that. And I think, thank you for the introduction. First of all, I think it's really nice also. I didn't know the clear line from, you know, working in the sort of (coughs) genetics company to now Avo. You can see it pretty clearly. Like, you know, I mean, you can see it from maybe the mathematics side as well, but definitely, you know, from the rest. And I'm always fascinated by companies that you cannot dream exist but exist (laughs) uh, because the problems are maybe so unknown to most of the world but to the few that sort of work in those issues it's a very big problem Mm -hmm. right I think that's kind of what Avo is maybe uh, because it's like for an an external person uh, you know it's it's not a SaaS I mean it's a SaaS company I guess but like it's not something which you know people are using Reg- they're not using it's not it a as- household name. Your grandma no. won't know what our voice. Yeah, <laughs> but but you, some of your customers are household names already, and yes. you're, you're only a couple of years in, right? So That's we'll right. definitely talk about that. And I think, but what's interesting to me, I'd, I'd love to kind of um, just double click a little bit on the sort of y- what you learned in QuizUp, which resulted in the in the PTSD. <laughs> uh, just just because I think I think there's something there to sort of explore in the sense of like the unknown unknowns of the data mm-hmm. world. You know, and I think I uh, would love to sort of talk about what the experience there was. Yeah. And then, yeah, why, how did Avo come about, you know, uh, after the, I guess, the pivot, you want to call it, mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what did I learn at QuizUp? At QuizUp, yeah. Uh, or, or, what was, or what was kind of, what from QuizUp has, has impacted Avo? Like, just to talk to me about sort of, you said it grew a lot, mm-hmm. of course, one of, the, one of the most downloaded apps ever, right? That, of course, creates a lot of data and a lot of opportunity, but also a lot of, issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think we'd love to sort of s- learn a bit more about w- the experience there. And totally. Yeah, and then <clears throat> so I would say, so maybe to set the stage, on my first day at QuizUp, the CEO walked past my desk and sort of casually dropped in uh, like, hey, Steph, you're responsible for retention, okay? <laughs> and I was like, 
but I'm an analyst. How can I be responsible for retention? Because obviously retention, so for everyone who is listening, retention is the definition of um, out of a cohort of people, for example, a people who, a group of people that sign up in a given day or on a given month or something like that, um, what, what proportion of those people return in a given period, time period, or or uh, or or um, something like that. Or like stick to the <coughs> app, come back, or either stay active on it. So. Exactly. And there are a lot of different types of definitions of retention, obviously. It's like uh, you can have monthly retention, weekly retention, day, daily retention. You can have like rolling time period retention. You can have... And then you can define it as just like it's enough to open the app or you can define it as, you know, they came in and they actually finished a game or something like that. So it's a really fuzzy term to to ask someone to be responsible for, um, which I think the general mindset of Icelanders is like, sure, we'll figure, take care of it. Figure it out. We'll figure it out. We even have a phrase for it, which is called... Þetta reddast. Say that again? Þetta reddast. That sounds cool. Yeah. I'm not going to try to put it. <laughs> I think you could though. Þetta reddast. One more time. Þetta yeah. reddast. That's really cool. <laughs> we'll try it off there. <laughs> yeah. Try it off there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so many people talk about that being like, it'll be okay. Many people translate something like that or like, it'll, it'll work. It, it'll work it'll, out. It'll, it'll work out. But from my perspective it's almost like people are saying like it will actually take care of itself which is really interesting but ultimately it's always because there's there are some people that make sure it's taken care of and we sort of just like yeah whatever and it's interesting to think about like how how did this mindset come about it might be because we just have really extreme weather everyone was like a sailor or a farmer in really extreme conditions in Iceland and it would be difficult just to predict anything, <laughs> I think. I totally agree. And, and we're going to deviate from Quizlet for a second because this is a really interesting topic because I I grew up in India. I'm mm. Indian. And, and uh, we have very similar sort of mindset to getting things done because it's like it's a very complex country. We're whatever now, billion and billion and a half people, you know, because the t- stats are never right in India. There's always a few more. So... Mm. Uh, it's a lot of people. Uh, and, and <laughs> like a billion and a half people yeah. or a billion people. And well, we're and like 360,000. <laughs> exactly. And so it's like there's a lot of complexity. There's like a, like I think in, India is a continent. So you kind of, you know, you have multiple multiple languages, mm. thousands of dialects. It's, it's, it's a pretty big sort of, you know, mass uh, on earth, which is kind of, you know, got a lot of people on it. And it's very much that similar sort of mindset of like it'll work itself out. Because if you try and force it, you'll just give yourself gray hair because there's no way of forcing it and when I moved to Europe it's the opposite most people want to force everything because everything is you know in a certain timeline there organized there has to be a plan exactly and then I remember will you please meet me in two <laughs> weeks at 2.45 or just meet me next week when, you, when you're done <laughs> yeah, exactly. if you have an hour in the morning right yeah. like like this but I think the thing I remember I remember meeting a couple of Icelandic people and they were just talking about um, one, some volcano exploding. And like the guy just said it like it was normal. And I was like, what the hell? And, and, then, and then he said, yeah, but like the flight was about to crash, but it didn't crash. We got lucky with the wind <laughs> coming the right way. And we all survived. And, and, like, 
and I, and I don't want to, it's not religious maybe, but there's some sort of like, there's a lot of power around you in Iceland mm. and, and maybe some other countries in the world and that you can't control. Mm-hmm. So you have to either just go with the flow and go with the waves and go with the, you know, nature or you don't, <laughs> you know, otherwise. And I think, I guess I could relate to that a lot in a different way. And I, I was very surprised. I, was like, oh, I would, didn't think I would re- have something to relate so deeply on people from a small island in the Atlantic, but I do. So it's That's uh, interesting. It's what do you think is the origin of that feeling from India? I mean, there's probably a lot uh, in India. There's a lot to do with a lot you can't control. So I think it's it's definitely it's a very diverse nation weather-wise as well. We have like some pretty pretty high mountains up north, and we have a lot of you know sea and everything. But I think it's mostly to do with in recent history, um, the the people, many people have felt powerless, mm-hmm. and 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 like power has been controlled by a small group, and you know it's it's diversifying a lot more now, of course, and there's you know middle class and everything. Uh, growing a lot faster. There's a lot of money in India, like a lot of tech. I mean, everything is taking off like crazy right now. Um, you know, valuations are off the chart. We'll talk about that as well, I'm sure, in this chat. But I think what's, what's for, for, for me, what's interesting is that um, Hinduism and sort of philosophy and Hindu philosophy from like, you know, thousands of years ago, kind of like there's a, there's a, there's a core saying uh, in the Bhagavad Gita, which is this, which is this religious book or philosophical book, uh, which says nishkam karam yog, which means like all you can control is your actions. You cannot mm. control the outcome. And it's like very embedded in the philosophy. And in real life, it hits you every day because <laughs> mm-hmm. you're in Mumbai or in Delhi, one of the big cities is 20 million plus mm-hmm. people. You know, yeah, what are you going to do? It's like, yeah, there's traffic. Yeah, good luck. It's, there's traffic. It's going to take forever. So, mm-hmm. you know, any amount of great driving is not going to get you through that traffic. Any amount of, you know, uh, Pushing, elbowing is not going to get you through. Some people still do it because that's how it is. But, but majority of the population, I think, is like it'll. We'll have to find a way to get through it. Mm-hmm. That's why, like, a lot of people are surprised when they come to India for like a religious retreat or like meditation. You know, retreats. It's mm-hmm. like it's actually a really crazy country. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and and it's actually to me, it's like being able to meditate in the middle of craziness. That's real meditation. That's a good point. Though. It's not. That it's not about point. like you know going to beautiful Iceland and meditating when there's no noise around <laughs> yeah, you. Exactly. I mean, of course, uh, you have other issues there with your dealing with yourself more, right? Mm. But it's also a matter of like, hey, can you meditate in the middle of 45 degrees Celsius heat mm-hmm. in the traffic when everyone's screaming around you? And there are insects that are sitting on you, which yeah. is we, we don't have in Iceland. Like we don't have any animals that are dangerous. Exactly. You know, <laughs> like there's nothing. This is like, mm, yeah. Nah. yeah. <gasps> But yeah, that's a really interesting point, actually. Um, and like, uh, so I, I spent a summer in India once. I was in Hyderabad. And oh, cool. I went over to Vishakapatnam as well and did oh, some road, 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 road trips. Why, uh, why, why, were you in, why were you there? I uh, managed to somehow register for like a summer school in University of Hyderabad. Oh, cool. Just studying about India. Um, oh, awesome. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. One of my favorites is that I actually learned how to ride a motorcycle in India. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's as did I. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, but it was like uh, a lot of my family and friends, they were like, do not do this, Stephanie. Like, do you, have you seen Indian traffic? And uh, But to me, I really respect and love Indian traffic because it's uh, it's very, it's like an organ. 
It's like people don't blindly follow rules. They just really are aware of their surroundings. And just like you, you know, as soon as you move into a lane, like everything is ready for you. And I did like my I did like a thesis over there and it was about Indian traffic and oh, I like cool. pulled a bunch of stats about it. And like there, you know, contrary to what many people would probably think, because it looks pretty crazy from the outside, the Indian traffic, there's not a higher rate of traffic incidents or Indian traffic deaths or anything like that. It's just it it works really smoothly and I love being a part of it. Like just walking onto the street, for example, and all of the cars, they just stop. As opposed to like when you're in the Western society, it's like the cars feel like they have this right to drive while the light is green. Um, And like, you better not step into my area. This is a car zone until you get the green light. And I just, I really hate that. And so I really love the sort of organic feeling of the Indian traffic. It's it's so funny uh, you say that because um, I'm also really into AI uh, and I'm always reading you know some of these uh, sort of uh, Tesla fleet uh, research proposals and you know sort of and what MIT is doing with like sort of machine vision and everything and like some of the sort of proposals for what it's going to look like look a lot like Indian traffic. <laughs> mm. I'm like I'm like we just it's kind of like that's what it's supposed to look like imagine having 15 la- 15 cars in the lane oh right I'm like, yeah, oh, you well, mean how, what driving will look like yeah. when, when machines are just doing it for us yeah exactly. I'm, like, I'm like oh that reminds me of growing up like you know kind of just good point you know I think of course uh, they're saying it's going to happen a lot faster and the speeds are going to be a lot higher but but it's in that sort of same kind of like organic organism kind of mindset it's like of course you know it's it's very stressful if you don't know how to let go and mm. don't know how to like go with the flow, right? And I think um, that's a good point. Uh, and I think that's kind of it's always I always find that sort of some parallels where it's like, oh, did one of these researchers go to India and like <laughs> look at look at how the traffic there is and kind of was inspired similar to how you were. Uh, but but I think it's kind of it's kind of interesting, uh, you know, how so much of what you know, kind of modern technology is getting us to sometimes also looks a lot like the past Mm -hmm. in some ways, which is kind of interesting, kind of also in the sort of health space, you know, getting away from going to the hospital too much, like, let's try and be healthy. And we've been talking about this for a few thousand years as well. Right. You know, and it's kind of interesting uh, to look at it. But Mm -hmm. um, cool. I didn't know you had such an interesting India connection. That's interesting. Very cool. I love Hyderabad. My best friends from there, so mm. I've been there a bunch of times. Yeah. I sat on a bench there. There's a bench there that if you sit on it, apparently the legend has it that you will return. So okay, you're gonna come back then, yeah. I guess. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe Ava will have an office in Hyderabad someday. Hey, I <laughs> like it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's touch on Ava for a bit. Um, you briefly went over the origin story, but would you mind giving it some more some more color? Like, yes. W- what was the step before Avo and? Yeah. I'm happy to. Yeah, so as I was saying, like, uh, before we detoured into a few um, exciting areas, uh, the CEO asked me to be responsible for retention. And the thing was, like, I shared that, you know, in the first five days, a million users joined QuizUp, um, which was a lot of people. I mean, and for anyone who's ever done anything, it's just, like, it's really powerful to be able to get, like, 20 people to use your product or something. You're like, whoa! Like, from zero to one and from, like, one to 20 is, you know, really, a, it's a hard work, really. Um, and so it's incredible to get a million people to do something. Uh, and obviously you need, you need more, though, for success. But it's it's still really, it's crazy. Um, and when you're trying to understand why 
so Kuzip had this really interesting retention pattern where so games have very low retention in typical like less than 10% typically um, stay just throughout like that first week while social social channels and social media platforms they typically have like a higher retention uh, successful social media platforms you know up to like 50, 60, 70, 80 something like that percent return and then just keep on returning and Quizzup was like a hybrid it was in between so it had, it had like way higher retention than the typical games but it didn't quite reach like the social um, social media channel retention level so it was really interesting so a lot to dig into there obviously and uh, we had a lot of interesting success stories from Quizzup as well like there were marriages that came out of people randomly meeting each other playing a lot of topics like I'm not talking about a single marriage I'm talking about a bunch of marriages of people that met playing Quizzup for example uh, like this couple that met playing the Big Bang Theory (laughs) topic Um, and so there was obviously value in the game Um, and like I was saying like there was it's it was it had a way higher retention than the general game so there was something in it, um, mm-hmm. and Zynga was showing it a lot of interest at the time, for example. And we were learning a lot from Zynga as well. Um, and so and when you when you have something like this, and you have this amount of people, obviously you can't just call everyone up and be like, hello, friend, what's up? Why did you stick around with QuizUp? Um, and like, oh, hello, person that never came back. Why did you not? <laughs> you know, like they won't take your call even. So you have to have these alternative means of <clears throat> of trying to un- un- understand the the reasons behind some user experience um, and user journey you have to use a mix of qualitative and quantitative data qualitative meaning like user interviews and quantitative meaning gathering actual data points for every single user action that a person does so that you can you know create timelines like patterns of timelines and uh, retention behaviors and correlate behaviors with like some other traits that, that they have like where are they, where are they in the world how many friends do they have did they win their first game did they win any of their first seven games um did they how many points did they get in their first game like to <clears throat> try to understand like what are the things that create a really great experience in those first in those first moments that would make you want to continue to get value out of learning uh, because it was like a it, it was a trivia game like people really enjoyed sharing their knowledge and competing with other people in various different topics um, and so there was a lot to unpack in the data there and like um, I knew the people that were working on Quizup before I joined and I was really excited when they reached out to ask me to join as like the founding analyst. I was supposed to join as like a business analyst working for the CFO. But I immediately was like, oh, my God, I can create these recommendation algorithms <laughs> and I can do all of this stuff with data. And I got super excited. Um, and then the thing was, um, the data was so terrible. It was so messy. It was so... Um, what, what does that mean? It means, for example, so everyone knows Spotify. So I'm going to take an example from Spotify. Um, when you think about like the button or the user action to add a song to a playlist, it's something that <clears throat> some people know exists. Most people probably know it exists. Um, and But it's a thing that you can do from various different places in the app. And so it's this... 
it's this user action that you can do from all of these different contexts. You can be in like the full screen view of a song or you can be in like the artist view or you can be in an album view or you can be in the cube view or you can be in like your home screen view. You can be in the, all of these different places where you can add a song to a playlist. And so the interesting thing about that is like for us as a user, um, that's just a single thing that we want to be able to do wherever we are. But for the product teams, for the developing teams, like for the product manager, for the designer, for the developer, they have to design the experience around that so that it feels to us like a single thing. Like mm. it feels like a unified experience to us. Um, and that is a lot of work to do that and get that right. And it typically involves, like I was saying, like it touches a lot of the different aspects of the application and typically does not um, just, it's not a single team. It's like a lot of different people on different teams that might not communicate each other on a day-to-day -day basis. And so a lot of different like developers are touching the code base behind adding a song to a playlist um, because it's like completely different code base to interact with like the song, like full screen song view versus like the queue view or something like that. Um, and so, but then in the end, you know, you have this concept of a playlist and you want to optimize the experience for the playlist. And let's say we're trying to optimize um, the experience around the playlist and we decide that we want to measure something like the conversion rate from playing, from creating a playlist to playing a playlist of 10 songs or something like that, you know, and that would sort of verify that you have successfully used the playlist feature. You have been able to create one. You've been able to find a bunch of songs uh, to add to it. You've been able to rediscover it again, and then you've been able to play it for someone or for yourself. And that is like a long journey. Probably it could take like a few days. It could take up just a, a 10 minutes because you're setting something up in a single room for like a dinner party or something. And it has all of these different user actions. Um, and so every time someone, for example, then adds a song to a playlist from any of these different locations in the app, um, that's going to be like maybe, let's say, 13 different code paths just on the iOS app. And then that could be anywhere from like a single to 13 different developers that actually have to interact with that code path. And they have to make sure that anytime someone interacts with that sort of uh, user experience and does that user action, they are logging a data point some in some database, into some database that represents this user action um, and sort of tells someone then that 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 can work with the data that someone has you has know, done something done, the, done yeah. that and they might call it something like uh, song added to playlist or like a playlist add song or song add playlist or like and they they might call it all of these different things because they are not working in a unified way <clears throat> and that's really what i mean by messy data because what it what it what it results in when you have messy data like that, and you have like various different names for the same user action, it means that no one can use that data if they are not an expert in that data. Hmm. And like a single product manager that might be looking into the conversion rate from someone creating a playlist to someone having like a 
having played a playlist of 10 songs, they have to know all of the different names that all of these different developers are calling these different user actions. And that applies to maybe seven steps in that conversion funnel. So it's like a super interesting thing to be able to make sense of these conversion funnels and create these holistic metrics. Um, and if you have all of these different people that are creating the different data points, then you have to spend a lot of time as a data expert in just hacking together these data sets before someone on the team can make a decision about what we have to do about the playlists. And that is like the first step in our journey at Quizup. So I would say we went through four maturity stages. Um, the first one is a centralized BI team, basically. Like I started off as like a data team of one and we scaled that up to a data team of four where decision-making was bottlenecked by the human throughput of a data analyst. Like, nobody else would even know where to find the data. And then we went on to the next step because that didn't scale, right? We needed all of the other product managers, like all of the product teams needed to be able to understand uh, things about the product without waiting for like two, three, five weeks to get an answer from a human another human that was just working on a lot of other different requests or like the board was asking for retention numbers or something. And so we wanted to move into something like a self-serve model, self-serve analytics model where anyone could sort of look stuff up. And we sort of always were building in that direction. And then the next step was like in that, the problem in that stage two was decision-making was still bottlenecked, but it was bottlenecked by the lack of data quality and lack of data literacy. So ultimately it was still bottlenecked by human throughput, because the only people that could hack their way past all of these different discrepancies in the data and figure out like what all of these things mean were the data experts. Mm. Um, and so then we went on to like the maturity stage three, where we were trying to solve the data consistency. And so we went for something like, I would say, like a centralized analytics governance, where the data team would make sure when the product teams were adding new user actions, um, they would they would have to come to us and we would help them make sure that these they were naming these things consistently and like logging them consistently across the app and that everyone would know what it actually meant when someone logged this type of user action. Um, and then that created a new problem. Um, product releases became bottlenecked by data governance. So every time a product team wanted to release a feature, they would have to wait for us to be able to, and we, they would have to work with us to be able to sort of like um, define the tracking, define the tracking that needed to be ha happen, implement it, and then wait for us to verify that this actually worked. And so we still had a bottleneck and we were still sort of being slowed down by data quality. We were basically choosing between like reliable insights or release our products for every time we were releasing our products. And this is exactly the same stage that Patreon, uh, one of our customers, one of our one of the customers of Avo was at. They were in this third maturity stage when they joined um, or became an Avo customer. They were spending for every single product release cycle, which is typically like maybe two weeks, they were spending three to four days on planning, implementing, and verifying their analytics. That's like 40% of the cycle. That's a lot of time. And they got that down to 30 to 60 minutes, thanks to Avo. 
30 to 60 minutes. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that's the same thing as we did internally, then finally, as like the final maturity step um, at QuizUp, where we developed these internal processes and tools, um, which would allow us to govern the analytic structures and optimize for the developer implementation. So we would create so-called type-safe code um, to make sure the developers could implement the analytics events super quickly without blocking um, the product releases. I, I find this I find this so fascinating because because I think most people and thank you for sort of giving such a such a clear explanation because most people who are listening to this there might be some developers but most people would not have a, a clear idea that oh a small little change <laughs> you know in a feat in the way an app looks or something has so many people involved that are working crazy hours and a bottleneck as as trivial as labeling data could totally fuck it up right or could or could you know reduce the efficiency in the time by by many uh, many days right so um so what does avo actually do like let's skip ahead to avo because you brought up patreon i think it's that's a it's a well-known brand and well-known company that does some pretty interesting stuff um tell us what avo does and then Let's talk a bit more about the Patreon case and then some others if you want to give some examples. Mm -hmm. Happy to. Um, yeah, so like I was sharing, like we built these tools internally at QuizUp. Um, and then, you know, like I briefly touched on in the intro, um, we I started a company right after QuizUp and it only took us about five months to sort of get incorrect data that we didn't realize was broken. Um, and we did, made a product decision based on incorrect data. And it impacted then, uh, consequently, it impacted our conversion, sign-up conversion funnel. Uh, and then we realized about the data bug and we were like, what? No. And for me personally, it was just like such a bummer. Like, even though it was, you know, not like a huge, major, major setback. I mean, we would spend like two, three weeks in like fixing the sign-up funnel again. Okay, that like two, three weeks is a lot in, in startup land, obviously. But the the core... You know the reason why I literally went home that day. I was like, "Oh my God, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be in such a bad mood today. I'm not gonna like destroy my relationships with everyone," um, because I was just thinking about like the the future of that company and how many times this would be the case, and that we would have to build all of these tools again internally. And I was just like, "Oh my God, like we don't have the resources to do that." And it took freaking like three and a half years to get to that place in Quizzo. With, with, a, with a funded company and a lot of great developers and engineers and data yeah. scientists. So yeah, it's not easy. No. no, it wasn't easy and it was really painful and like, you know, and ultimately like even the thing that we had at Quizzo, it had a bunch of flaws, you know, and we still wanted to improve a lot of it, but we didn't have the resources to do that. And and we were like starting this company and we were like four or five people. And obviously we weren't going to spend our time on building those tools again. So we were basically left with the choice, like we are going to choose product delivery over reliable insights. Like, <laughs> no. And obviously as a data scientist, uh, that, was a, that was a tough one. <laughs> um, and I know it's not acceptable. So then I realized like, okay, instead we were, we're going to have to choose, spend a lot of time on it. We're not going to build the tools, but we're we're going to have to invest time on making sure our data is okay. Uh, what was that company doing? Or what was uh, it's a company called Visca. 
um, and it was gamified microlearning for employees. Oh, interesting. And it was uh, another idea basically born from Quizup. Um, <laughs> so I spent, after after being head of data science there for a while, um, I and a uh, few other people that were had been with the company for a really long time, the CTO, the um, editor-in-chief, the head of business development and myself as head of data science, we opened up a New York office at Quiz for QuizUp to build a B2B version for QuizUp because there were a lot of brands reaching out that wanted gamified microlearning for their employees. Mm. And then fast forward a couple of months, NBC also wanted to do a TV show with us. Um, and so we put that QuizUp at work thing at on hold. But it was always something that really pulled... Um, we, 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 we really wanted to solve that problem. We thought there was really a market for it. So that's what we were working on then. Um, anyway, so... But the implosion happened. The data issue happened with the sign-up. <laughs> uh, let's just call it the implosion. Or whatever. The implosion. Uh, but because that, that went... And then did you guys decide to pivot? or do you, What happened? Yeah, where it is, took where a few Avo? months, though. Yeah. It took a few months. Um, so this was probably in May 2017 or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then we sort of realized towards the end of 2017 that we would not be working on this and we would start working on Abel. Um In the meantime, yeah. we actually got into... Y Combinator with the caveat that they would only want to take us if we would pivot. <laughs> and okay. we weren't ready to do it at that point. We were like, oh, it's a good idea. And they were like, it's not a good idea. <laughs> but we like the team. Please just do anything else. <laughs> just do anything else. And they literally had that as a condition. Like we could just do anything else. Oh, 2017. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we didn't accept it. But instead, we kept on working on Visca, and then later that year, we um, decided to start working on Avo. But you know, before we did, um, I, you know, took a few months to really talk to everyone, my colleagues, data scientists or developers at like Twitch and Airbnb and Spotify and like everywhere, all of those companies that had already built the internal tools for this, um, to hear a little bit more about the like. Is this a real thing, or did we just make it up at Quizup? Like, um, and like, what happened here at Visca? Like, is this actually a problem for everyone else? Just like you're saying, it's like a thing that not everyone on Twitter is talking about, or something, right? Um, it's this hidden thing. But now, actually, more people obviously are talking about it. Um, people are talking about tracking plans and analytics governance and data governance for product analytics. And sounds sounds so sexy. Sounds so sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more tracking plan. What? Um, yeah. Um, anyway, so. What AVO is, is a collaboration platform for product managers, data scientists, and developers to define the data structures that they would otherwise do in a spreadsheet, and typically like a spreadsheet, and some product manager would come into AVO, now into a spreadsheet, like the old way of doing it would be some product manager would come into like a spreadsheet, um, define the name of a user action, define all of the metadata, like the attributes, the state of the app or something that should be triggered along with it. Um, and they would do that in a spreadsheet and then they would share like a link to that spreadsheet into like a Jira ticket or an Asana task or something like that. Then there would be some discussions in that Jira ticket um, and a decision would be made and the tracking plan, the spreadsheet, would be instantly outdated even before someone starts implementing it. So it's meant to act as like a single source of truth, but it never does. And like nobody relies on those spreadsheets and everyone hates it. Um, and 
with Avo, you have like the single source of truth that is actually linked into your code base. So you know that your tracking plan, the definitions of your data points, they're actually up to date. So the product managers that are trying to make decisions based on data, they can come into Avo and actually look up what data actually exists right now. What can I use to make my decision? Um, and then based on those data structures that they define in a user-friendly way, um, developers generate code, use the Avo CLI to generate code that is type safe and wraps whatever analytics SDK that the developers are already using, which just makes it bulletproof um, to get the analytics implementation correct in the first round. Um, and then we have tracking observability tools that sort of ha give you a dashboard of what you're actually logging. Um, not, none of the actual data. Hmm. They all use like a different analytics tool. It is just for observing the schemas and the structure of the data and validating that. So it's your monitoring tool for your data sets, basically. Tracking observability and um, making the implementation easier so that you can actually get some use out of the hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars that you're paying for your analytics tools. Yeah, that's really, that's really interesting because I think... Cause the analytics tool market is massive, right? And there's, I mean, starting Very with fragmented. yeah, starting with the basic Google Analytics, the, all the way up. To, I mean, I don't know if segment isn't that they're, yep. so, they're all in that space, right? Yeah, totally. And 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 I think uh, Mixpanel, all that, right? And and these are all great companies, and you know, sort of clearly, uh, everyone, depending on how complex of a team or a product or a structure you have, you can use one or multiple. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but what you're saying is that. Avo sits kind of in the middle or above? Above, like above. very upstream. It's the yeah. first thing, really. So yeah. you come into Avo and you define what are the data points that you're going to send into Google Analytics, into mm. Mixpanel, into Segment, into Brace, amplitude, like a whatever, amplitude yeah. into Com, just whatever data tool that might require an analytics event. It could even be Salesforce, um, just whatever. You can define the data structures for that. Uh, very upstream, back in, like all the way up in Avo. And from there, you can manage all of your data structures and then Avo can integrate your data schemas into your SQL databases or your ingestion time validation tool or like a Kafka queue that streams your data somewhere or DBT or Mixpanel wow. or just like w wherever. And I mean, how the hell did you guys build that? <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds like it sounds like kind of almost too good to be true in a way. It's like, okay, you guys are figuring all this out. How? How was how how did you work it out? How did you build it? Um, or what's the kind of the core of the product? Like, is it is it do you solve the this labeling? I mean, you solve a lot of issues. It sounds like, but you know, how, so how do you do that? How do you focus on? I would say so. Okay, it's a really multifaceted question that you're asking. I think like so. How did we build this? Mm. Um, and I would say like a lot of the origin for what we had um, came from our time at Quizup. Mm. Like we built, you know, a different way to solve this back then. And then we had learned some challenges about how we solved it back then and we could apply that to how we wanted to now solve it. And then make product they productize it much more. Yeah. Right. Versus it being like a, a new build every time. <coughs> yes. And um and also like um uh but what you're like how did we build it sound like we're solving a lot of problems and what's the core of the product like yeah so that's uh that's another question and the reason why that has a complex answer i think is because um f 
from my perspective and one of my sort of strong passions is actually data culture. Mm. Um, because I think even though you have all of these tools for data quality, I think ultimately what really brings up your data quality and data literacy is good data culture, like working with people that actually see a value from using data to make a decision about like, well, how can we best serve our users? And it's really interesting, like that journey at QuizUp, for example, when I started, there were maybe one or two developers that cared about data. Hmm. Just like words sometimes opening up like an panel and checking out some charts. Normally it's like, oh, here's my idea. Let's build it. I don't yeah. really care. Like a feature factory type of thing. Like, And you have this idea or a gut feeling that something will solve a problem. And then it's super interesting. There is this tradition at Airbnb and also one of our customers, Culture Amp, which is an Australian unicorn. They have um, these regular sessions where they will, they have A-B tests going on. Which yeah, is where Gustav you, and the guy started the Airbnb, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yes. Um, A-B tests are uh, this concept where people uh, are in like a control group where they have no change and then some other group of people are, get a change and you can pay, compare the impact of like a retention or a conversion rate or a churn or something like that. And there there are these traditions over at Airbnb where the I think Gustav was the person that actually started this. Um, he was our partner at Y Combinator as oh, well, cool. so that's fun. <laughs> that's great. Um, uh, yeah. I want to talk about YC a lot more, but, uh, but go on. Yeah, Gustav is so great. We um, Anyway, um, so they would have this tradition where they would, you know, have when the result of an A-B test was ready, they would pull together a group of people and the group would bet on the result or like just like guess. And it was so clear how how wrong people's guts are <laughs> when you see that. And that is, you know, you know, a lot of people would say like, oh, this way of like this header will, you know, really make it clear for people what the apartment is about. And so obviously we'll see a lot more conversions to renting an Airbnb or whatever. It turns out not, not true. <laughs> um, and so... Um, that's super interesting and like um, that can help a lot if you're trying to build a data culture and convince people that data can actually be a really powerful thing to build a better product. Um, and in the beginning at Quizza, there were really few people that had that mindset. And then we were sort of able to change that mindset, um, I would say. And there are a few tools that we did for that. And one of them was we tried to make it very inclusive in the beginning how, like, when someone was about to work on a product update, it would maybe be like a five-people team, like an iOS developer, an Android developer, a backend developer, a designer, something like that, and then, like, one more of any any of these roles or something like that. And um, in the beginning at QuizUp, you know, someone would come to us and be like, hey, a couple of weeks ago, we released this thing. What is the success of it? And we'd be like, I don't know. Did you implement any analytics for it? No, I don't think so. Well, we won't be able to tell then. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, and then gradually we started just like begging people to be like, please implement analytics for your release so we can answer your questions. And then like eventually we created this process, which we call the purpose meeting. 
um, where we would actually, before any development work would be done, we would sit down with these folks, um, like all of the roles that I was talking about earlier, a developer, an iOS developer, Android developer, backend developer, designer, the product, whatever. And we would ask them to frame what is the purpose of this product release. Um, and they would frame it. And then we would talk about like, well, how how would you how would you measure the success of that? And then they would frame that. And so we were just like in a supporting, like facilitating, like a psychoanalyst type of role or something. And then when they when they had decided what they wanted to do, like what was their goal, what what did they want to measure, then they would be like, well, will we be able to measure that if we don't put it out as an A-B test? And so they wouldn't be like forced by us to do that. It would be like, well, I'm very excited to know that this actually works, so can we do that? Um, because like typically it's more work to put something behind an A-B test, like development from a developer's perspective, because you have to like, sort of duplicate your code and like create have two versions of the app live at the same time, and so there's typically like pushback to on on doing that. Um, and ultimately, like building that culture and creating it in that inclusive way, where the development teams were actually the people, the product teams were the people that were passionate about measuring the success of their releases, that turned the culture from like you know two developers sometimes opening charts to like sixty or seventy percent of people of the developers were like, every time something got out, they would be like, what's the status of this thing? Hey, I was just looking at this chart and now it looks like this. What do you think that means? And it, that's that's such an empowering thing for data quality because ultimately they are the people that implement the analytics events. And so when they care about the results, we will also see like such an increase in data quality. And I mean, I think I, I wanna, when you were talking about data culture, I've been, in, I advise a lot of startups <laughs> And I've been in, I've also by some bigger companies and I've been in meetings where someone just says, oh yeah, but what about the data? And I'm like, what do you mean, what about the data? Like, that's kind of the core of all of this. We, we're not building in, uh, you know, a black hole. <laughs> you're not just building for an art project, even though there's a space to sort of do that, but you're building for users who are customers who pay you or who are users who you're going to show advertising to or whatever the business model is. So how can you ignore 50% <laughs> of this dance, right? And I think, and I think, kind of uh, what I also what I like about the product and Avo and everything you've told me so, so far, and and is that bottom line, make better product. Bottom line, make better product faster, and make better iterations with actually keeping the user in mind. That's it. Mm -hmm. This helps make that much much faster, much more approachable, mm -hmm. and and also much more efficient. So that's mm -hmm. kind of the really cool thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, everybody should go check it out. And if you don't know what to do with it, then don't. <laughs> but if you're a developer <laughs> or someone working in one of these companies uh, that, that, you know. Yeah, if you're a product manager yeah. or a data manager as yeah. well, like an analytics manager, exactly. then the user, the web user interface will, dis will help anyone in your team design better data. So that's also one of our core principles is like, we did all of these purpose meetings with all of these teams at QuizUp where we were facilitating like, why do you need this analytics event? Yeah. And what should it be called um, so that it's consistent with all of our other portfolio of analytics events so that people that are consuming the data actually know what that means and all that stuff. 
And so a lot of that philosophy is built into the journey of actually defining the data versus starting with like a tabula rasa spreadsheet where you have no idea what you're doing yeah. and only the experts can actually define the data. So that's really also the core part of our philosophy is this self-serve analytics governance, really empowering all of the product teams to run fast without having like a centralized data team that has to govern the analytics structures and make sure you're doing things correctly. Yeah, very cool. Um, I, I want to touch on YC because uh, you finally did, did go through it <laughs> with Avo. Uh, tell me that experience and and uh, and and also, yeah, what kind of you know, yeah. Tell me, talk about that. Yeah, I I think I should start with the interview day because yeah, that please. was a funny thing. Um, so we um, we were uh, so it starts with an application, um, and I recommend anyone who is ever building anything just go through that application because they're really great questions. They're questions that... I've filled them out. I've done it a couple of times. Just, I haven't just got for in, fun. but it's, it's yeah. been great. No, it's, no. Yeah, exactly. It's like a, they're, they ask good questions that you should be asking yourself and if I you're mean, building a company. And I mean, at the very sort of bottom line of that, like as someone who's not gotten into YC yet, um, I said yet very purposely <laughs> because I love to build and maybe someday I'll build <laughs> something cool enough to be part of YC. But, um, but I think, you know, as you said, like there's there have been times I've I've sat down to fill the application up with a co-founder, and we're like, actually, we shouldn't do this together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> actually, we don't really want to build a startup, right? Because if if this is kind of the path to sort of world class startup building, maybe we shouldn't do this. <laughs> or you know, maybe the co-founder and you are like, okay, maybe this doesn't make sense. And it's at the very least, it's a good uh, gut check, a reality check. Really for good one. Yeah. yeah, it really helps you think through like, why are you doing this thing? And I love that you brought this up because. Just like to stitch this whole thing again, like back to AVO and the purpose meeting at QuizUp, this is also one of the side effects that happened all of the time when we sat down with the people to design the goals and metrics and the data structures. Ultimately, they were like, like just there were five people in the room and they all disagreed on why they were doing this. And they were like, well, I think we have to go back to the drawing board. <laughs> um, and so that's also a really powerful way of uh, reason for why you want to think things through before you do, do them, even though you have to move fast. But anyway, yeah, so we applied. Um, and I love the application process. It's really fun. And then you go through um, an interview after that. And so we flew out to San Francisco. While, while you were still allowed to fly, right? Yeah, this was back in 2018. Um, I've sort of spent the majority of my time in San Francisco probably since 2017 or something like that. Uh, but I always lived in Iceland until 2020. Um, and so I was always flying a lot. And yeah, that was when you could fly. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so um, we flew out and then... We sat down in our interview and we met with uh, Michael Seipel and Kevin Hale, which are both um, great product people. Michael Seipel is one of the founders of, uh, he, he's the CEO of Y Combinator today and he's one of the founders of Twitch. And um, it was hilarious. So Kevin Hale was sort of running the interview and Michael Seipel was sitting there. He was probably taking notes, but he sort of just looked like he was just on email. And it was hilarious. And I know now that he was just taking notes, but it was so funny to sit there and just feel like he was not there. And Kevin started asking us, like, what what are you um what 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 are you what are you building? Like what what are you making? And we started talking about Avo and they started asking, like, I don't I don't I don't I don't understand I don't understand the problem. What's the problem? 
um, what's the problem that you're solving? Um, and we were like, oh, yeah, so, and we elaborated on the problem and blah, 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 blah. And it, like interviewing Roy Combinator is this really intense 10-minute process where um, they just like drill you. And it's that's also a lot of fun. And you're like <laughs> sweating, like it's it's really funny. And so Michael Seibel was just like sitting there just looking at his screen and like Kevin Hale was asking a bunch of questions and we were just like, oh my God. <sighs> and then all of a sudden like Michael sort of semi-closed his screen and he was like, leaned onto the table and he's like but Steph what is the problem that you're trying to solve and we were like okay the problem is and he was like no 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 that's not a problem what is the problem you're trying to solve and we're like that is a problem the problem is and we're like Steph that's not a problem what is the problem you're trying to solve and I was like ah and it just went on like that for like 10 minutes or something it was hilarious and we just like walked out of the room we were like God, that was a disaster. And we sat down and we were like, oh my God, we have to write down word for word what happened in this conversation because I never want to have that conversation again with anyone. Um, and then the interview day is this funny day where like um, sometimes people or like most of the times you have to w- you have to wait for like 10 to 30 minutes until someone says like, you can go. Um, and in other cases, you're asked to come back for a second interview. And they really ask you to read nothing into that. Like, it doesn't mean that you're going to get in. It doesn't mean you're not going to get in. It's just we need more information. And But we were just, like, sitting there waiting to be told to let be Like, to, we, you can go and we never want to see you again, like, type of thing. But then we um, sat there writing down the conversation to learn as much from it as we could. And they were like, they want you back for a second interview. And we are like... A second life. <laughs> we got a second life. <laughs> and so we went and grabbed some tacos and came back. Um, and then Gustav Alströmer from Airbnb was sitting in the interview. And we just walked in and we're like super hyped up. Like we were super jet lagged. But like before this one, we were like, I'm going to do a handstand. I'm going to get all my energy up. <laughs> like it was hilarious. And we walked in there and we're like, okay, so here's the thing. <laughs> and like we talked for <laughs> this like. This is the problem we're solving. <laughs> And we talked for like maybe 30 seconds before Gustav was like, I know that problem. And I was like, yes, yeah. <laughs> it was hilarious. Um, and so we got into YC. <laughs> awesome. Um, and I mean, I mean, there's there's so many interviews online on like what YC actually is like. And, you know, so people should check those out if they're interested. But I'm very interested in sort of, uh, you know, how has life been like after YC? Because I think... Do they also end up investing because uh, there's like demo day? And then, I mean, just talk me through what it's been like, because I think a lot of people, I mean, YC is kind of one of the best accelerators in the world, if not the best. Uh, right. And and I know I know startups in Amsterdam that have 50 million ARR that have gone through YC and people that are like two or three people, you know, without a product that have gone through YC. And everybody's like, OK, amazing, loves it for the, whatever reason. Right. Um, how was your experience at YC? Uh, and then how's how have, how have they been involved since, or mm-hmm. or or what has that resulted in the funding side or anything else? You know how how would how do you see that? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. So multifaceted. How was YC? 
Um, and then how has YC been involved since? And I guess like how has that impacted, for example, the fundraising process? Yeah, or like what what does the YC stamp mean besides looking cool on LinkedIn? Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I would say first of all, YC was a lot of fun. So we moved out to <laughs> a small town next to. Um, or close to the town where YC is, which is not in San Francisco, it's in the Bay Area, a little bit more south. And um, we moved into this house mm. and like we were four people then and it was literally like walking into the set for the Silicon Valley show. It was just like, it was like this living room where we were just like putting up a desk somewhere and um, uh, in the living room and we just like bought a bunch of screens and we were just sitting there and we worked for probably 16 to to 20 hours every <laughs> every day and then we would just um uh sleep for a few and sometimes we would get a proper like eight hour sleep but most of the times not um probably in retrospect i would have done that better and also <coughs> had a little bit more like just because uh, i'm a i'm a strong work hard play hard person but this was a really strong work hard period um, but that's also the, the one of the beauties of yc is like you get to basically check out from all of your other responsibilities in life. You just move there with your team and you have no nothing else. Like you don't have dinner with grandmother. You don't have like a, um, a friend's birthday party. Like all of those are really enjoyable things in life um, that you love and you want them in your life. Um, but also when you're going through something that is very difficult, it is it is tough to have many obligations. Um, which is probably one of the reasons why it's very difficult to, I guess, I've never done it, but have kids and start a startup. <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> exactly. Um, but anyway, so I think like this concept of burnouts, for example, um, is probably less related to how hard you work and more related to um, how many different obligations you have that are sort of pulling each other in within yourself like every time you're at work you're guilty that you're not I don't know doing something um, um, every time you're at home you're guilty that you're not in work so I not not at work and I, th I think that is a stronger reason for burnouts than just like working really hard um, and so this period is this beautiful period where you can just obsess about this and nothing else for this entire time and I think it also sets the stage for your startup journey a little bit because you know what it feels like to be able to do that. Um, and that, I think, pushes you to try to create that type of an environment for you again, right? Like a focused environment. And other than that, like this scenario, like the setting that you're in, um, obviously it's incredible people, both the partners, um, so the, the people that are... I guess like there to push you and guide you and um, and get some carry if you're successful. Um, they are incredible. It's incredible people. It's a group of people that have you know had great successes and great failures, and so they've learned from both. And they have very recently been in a founder's position, so they know what it's like, which is completely different from getting a support from an investor that has cash uh, but has background in investment banking with full respect for that background. Like, I think it's tough and I probably wouldn't be able to do it. Um, but, like, it's 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 very, it's a very unique thing to be in a founder position. I just want to touch on that point because I, uh, I've i only been a founder since I was 17 years old. So I've started six companies, uh, 
four of them completely failed, uh, and we had two exits, which were good, okay exits, not not uh, not uh, Zuckerberg uh, kind of exit, <laughs> or or any of the big sort of Silicon Valley people that you hear about all the time, but enough to you know have have a decent life. Uh, and I go into rooms these days where it's accelerators or or you know kind of um, startup studios, and no one in the room has ever had a startup in their life. I'm mm. like, how can you? have a startup studio how can you how can you you know exactly how can you call yourself an accelerator like what was your startup yeah oh i joined as employee 25 or 30 or 50 or 100 i'm like yeah that's great it's different but you're not the you've never been a founder yeah. you've never sort of uh, had the idea in your head or <laughs> and then kind of worked with someone and, and sort of the first whatever 18 months of craziness right um so i think all my friends who have accelerators find someone who has a startup startup experience to at least talk to the startups, you know, and because that sort of it's not it's not rocket science as much as it is like surfing, <laughs> right? Because you have to have done it. You can't read books about it. You can't watch. That's a really you, fun analogy. You can't you can't uh, you can't watch YouTube. I mean, you can watch every single YC video a million times. Doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. Go and build, and and sort of experience it, you know? Yeah. And I think, uh, I just wanted to make that point very clear because that is one of the reasons why YC is, you know, top, top tier. Uh, and also, you know, sort of the, the money side shows it, right? The numbers, uh, crazy valuations of the companies. Uh, I'm rightfully so, majority of the time I'm imagining. But I think it's also kind of to go, goes to the point where, you know, we we're, there's so much of entrepreneurship theater in the world today, right? Because... Mm -hmm. Um, I also have a little. And people bit. go and study entrepreneurship in university. Yeah, that, like, that that's it's like it's like studying. It'd be fun. <laughs> it could probably be fun. Yeah, <laughs> but, but it's not the same as being an entrepreneur. Exactly, and and I also think like there's there's other side of it where you know there's a lot of um, and it's mostly Americans on Twitter um, who have a very large following who are great at talking about startups, and some of them also have, have had startups. Like, don't get me wrong, right? Like, but I always find it interesting, the the content game. <laughs> Right. Because I think a lot of the times it's like, yes, on Twitter or on Instagram or on social media platforms, it is about your persona. Mm -hmm. And we're creating content right now as well. Right. Like so, so we're definitely all in the same game to a certain extent. But in my mind, it's also really about trying to be authentic and say, OK, like, hey, you know, like Michael Seibel and th those kind of guys, like they're very authentic and open about the problems they went through. And it's like it, and they're very honest. They're like, oh, we it was default to fuck up. Like, it was just lucky we didn't. Mm -hmm. And we were all smart enough, but not that smart mm -hmm. <laughs> to sort of change our luck. And I think I, I, I like the sort of humility in that. And at the same time, the dichotomy of like, oh, and we're going to build a billion dollar startup in the same sentence. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that because I think that's kind of, to me, the core of, of, of launching something new. You don't know what's going to happen, but you have this balance of like, you know, head in the clouds and feet in the dirt mm -hmm. at the same time. You have to. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the fun part. I think, and, and, and that's for me the core of, of being of being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Actually, a, a core of being a successful entrepreneur in yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe you don't build the startup you build, maybe you don't, you know, return the money or don't raise money. If you can sort of have that mentality throughout, that's fun. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the point. Yeah, just two additional points to what you're just sharing. Like, uh, First of all, I wanted to confirm that when you look at the statistics, uh, YC is one of the uh, highest, has one of the highest proportion of seed investments that have, have converted into unicorns. 
So it's uh, they are playing a very good marketing game, but it's also statistically like a very successful venture uh, capital uh, investor, basically. Absolutely. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to mention about like how people perceive being a founder, um, I just remember. So I when I joined Quiza, I I felt like you know I was super invested. I was like, you know, I, I felt like you know I was acting like an owner. You know, um, and I was working very hard. It was like 14, 16 hour days and I was having fun doing it um, and learning so much. And it's like, uh, you know, any like any journey that's tough, you 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 grow on it. And that's really valuable. Um, and then I was like, yeah, I, I know what it's like to be a founder. I know I know what it's like to have a startup. <laughs> that's what I thought. And then I started a company and I was like. I get it now. <laughs> I did not know what it's like to be a founder just having worked in a startup. So I just really remember having um, that realization. Like I now understand what the CEO was going through and I just have a completely different perspective on it. And I think that is one of the, like like to stitch it back to YC, um, you are surrounded by amazing partners but you're also surrounded by incredibly inspiring people that are all on a mission to change the world somehow. That's crazy. I mean, that's like Navy SEAL level shit. Yeah. <laughs> because you're all there for the same kind of overarching goal. Oh, what? Do you, how are you changing the world? Oh, product product analytics. Okay, cool. How are you changing the world? Oh, rocket ship. Okay. Yeah. How are you changing the world? Oh, another app to lose weight. Oh, amazing, right? Yeah. And because you've all gone through the gauntlet of of multiple 10-minute interviews and and the application and all that, there's a level of sort of camaraderie. And I think and I think for me personally, there's like, a lower acceptance rate into YC than most of the Ivy League schools. Yeah, exactly. For and and exactly. And I think like it's kind of it's kind of that sort of, you know, and it's I'm I don't know I've never been so I'm just talking from uh, you know secondhand chats but it's it's also very like quote unquote diverse to a certain extent I would imagine they're working on it at least yeah <laughs> and I mean and I think it's also kind of like you know yeah I'm sure there's a lot more guys than gals <laughs> a lot more white <laughs> white men yeah and I, I mean and I think like to me it's also kind of like at the end of the day you know it's very recent that you can build product like Avo or QuizUp or any of those kind of companies um, at the level in Europe, in India, you kind of had to go to the Mecca for the longest time. Mm. And, 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 and there's still, of course, just a different level of kind of uh, execution and, and, and speed in sort of SF and the Valley, but it's changing, right? And it's changing a lot faster and there's people who are building amazing stuff. I moved to a small little town uh, outside of uh, the second biggest city in Denmark. And the guy, there's a guy there, uh, shout out Lesser, and he, he is one of the smartest AI guys I have ever met in my life. And he also, the same time, is one of the most creative people I know. So he's, him and his partner have been like um, playing with playing with TensorFlow and like making all these visualizations and and just kind of messing with the data. That they actually did some partnership stuff with Google, just two guys randomly. And Google was like, hey, can you help us build our 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 front page, our page for TensorFlow. What the fuck? Yeah. I think to me, and I think that's also kind of inspiring. And you're based in Iceland, even though, of course, you travel back and forth quite a bit. I think that's also the exciting part where I, I run into so many VC friends of mine um, who, I, who I give a lot of shit to because I think most of them are idiots. Uh, you know, <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of smart <laughs> ones, but most of them are not really, 
Like they're great money managers, right? They're great at funding and fundraising, but don't pretend like you know what it's like to have a startup. And mm. and I'm not again no no disrespect or anything. It's it's a very different thing. I could never do it either. But I think I think what's what's great is that you know there's a lot of great people everywhere now. And I think it's it's still surprising that so many American VCs are like, oh, we're only going to invest in in sort of Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. We're only going to invest in SF. Right. We're only yeah. going to invest in New York. Mm-hmm. Or, or now, oh, Miami. Wow, so exciting. <laughs> you know, I mean, oh, well done. You know, a couple of people moved. It's like, guys, you know, you're, the U.S. is 330 million people. Uh, there's Europe. There's Africa. There's India. There's China. And, there's, and some of the funds have, of course, gone there. Um, and Sequoia is doing well in India and also in China. But, let's, I mean, you know, there can be a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I think to me it's kind of, I, I was pretty impressed with YC when they did the everything remote. I think it's still remote. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can apply from anywhere and just stay up at uh, 7, uh, whatever, like midnight <laughs> to do the calls. But I think it's... it's but anyway, um, let's start wrapping up. But I want to talk about how has it been like after YC mm-hmm. and how have they been involved and how has that helped in other fundraising and things like that, mm-hmm. if you wouldn't mind touching on that. Yeah, of course. If it has helped at all. Or. Yeah, I mean, and like you know, just to, for example, I mean, one of the one of the hows of how it helped is um, we were able to finally frame um, <laughs> well enough for Michael Seipel to slow clap. <laughs> like, why didn't you say that in your interview? Like, um, when we were preparing for Demo Day, um, it's a really fun situation. It's like everyone. All of these founders, like these incredible people, you're just listening to the, listening to them practice their pitch, um, and it feels a little bit like when everyone is like studying for exams or something, um, and like everyone's in the same boat, and everyone's like, ah, oh, yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow's the day, and it's like it's so much fun, and I was like, you know, I was putting like pen a pen in my mouth and like practicing speaking my entire pitch like this to practice my pronunciation. It's like you just go so far and it's it's a lot of fun um and then you just pitch for a bunch of people but ultimately like you know we had already raised some of that money before demo day although like there's this interesting you know recommendation from YC like don't raise all of your money before demo day like you want to you want to reach the mass and get good offers and stuff like that so we followed that as well and and rejected some of the term sheets that like we got before demo day and then um, we be- went on to raise some funds, and I would definitely confirm that, like, going through YC enabled us to get introductions um, into both VCs but also into customers. And so that was definitely one of the reasons why we were able to close the round um, so fast, I think. like, And so... Uh, for example, I remember one of our invest- one of the investors that we were talking to during YC. He introduced me to Mora Church, which was has been a, a very early design partner of Avo since the summer of 2019, when, which is when uh, just a few months after we did YC. And so that's how I met her, and like that's how we got them as a customer, and that was part of the story to our fundraise. And like, so definitely, it's all coincidental, um, and you know, touches everything, pushes something else ahead. Yeah. Um, other than that, you know, what I often say about YC and why YC keeps its status, it's it, it's uh, it has a network effect. 
which uh, it is an interesting network effect that is built into YC, uh, which is, um, and and I, I, I continue to believe this, even though there are also people that talk about like YC isn't what it used to be because it used to be like, you know, eight companies um, and now it's, you know, more than a hundred um, twice a year. Um, and so, but they have found, found a way to scale that up basically because YC is also a startup. You know, YC was one of the first accelerators in the world and they have kept their first mover advantage, which is really interesting. Um, and they were able to find a way to scale up. How can we build groups of eight or six to eight companies that support each other on a journey and like have partners that are supporting them? And that's exactly what we did. And that's how I know Gustav so well, because he was managing a group of ours, our company and like six other companies. And they're all good friends of mine today still. And I care a lot for them. Obviously, we're all running really quickly and building our company. So we're not like always hanging out together, but like they're near and dear to my heart, as is a bunch of other people that I met through YC as well. Um, and uh, what's interesting about the network effect is like one of the things that YC has built in is, or there are two things that YC has built up. It's a network of founders and it's a network of knowledge. And they're obviously intertwined, but they have like this internal knowledge database uh, that's like a closed Reddit or something, something like that would be a closed Reddit. Like a community. Yeah, yeah a forum of some sort. And it's been there for ages. And so most of the questions that you have as a startup founder has been answered. And if it hasn't, you can ask it. For example, if there's like a new legal requirement somewhere, like everyone is asking about that or everyone is, you know, talking about it and someone asks the question and then a lot of people have that answer. And the more people do that, the more of the knowledge that you will never be willing to share publicly as you're building your company because you have to, you know, hide all of the problems and show all of the glamour, <laughs> basically. Like, obviously, that's, you know, that's changing a little bit and more more and more people are talking more openly about all of the struggles of, of building a company. Um, so it's very, very high highs and very low lows and a lot of both. Um, and so much fun, obviously, but it's also, it's it's a challenge. And people can't share many of those struggles in public. It might be because it's, you know, team related, like you are having problems with an employee. It might be because you're, it's an investor related. Uh, you're having a struggle with like a VC that's, you know, can't work with the board or something like that. And you can't just go on the internet and like ask that pu question publicly. Um, might be because you're struggling to decide what should the evaluation of your company be. And obviously you can't talk about that in public either. And so there are all of these things that you, as a, as a startup founder, you can't, you don't have a lot of people to talk to that about. And it's super valuable to be able to look up in that database what are some of the insights. And then the other the other angle is like, so that, that's the knowledge database that YC has built up. And um, then you have the founder network. So you have all of these incredible people um, that are willing to help each other. So um, if you're sending an email as a YC founder to another YC founder, um, that's something that I take seriously. Mm. And I've seen that also happen when I was reaching out. Like, hey, I know that you did X, Y, Z. Um, I was wondering if I could, you know, talk about that with you and learn something from you. And like, 
I will be able to, I, you know, I got a reply before I had ever met Patrick Collison, the founder of Stripe, right? Just because I was a YC founder and he was friendly, you know? Obviously, I think he's a generally very friendly guy and I met him later also in like a, some some fireside chat and he's very smart and driven and like very inspiring. And I think generally he has this perspective that he tries to talk to people and get back to people. But um, I, I think it also generally applies to like the YC network that you try to help each other out. It's like a verified network of people that have gone through a struggle to get to some sort of a stamp. Um, and you know that they are not bullshit people. So you're up for putting your time in to help them. Yeah, and that's that's so valuable, right? Because there's, I think one of the things which I feel uh, social media didn't do right, uh, and, and hopefully, you know, there's going to be ways of doing it, and maybe this is one of the ways, is kind of, you know, um, there is a deep camaraderie in struggle. <laughs> Right there, uh, I, I sort of related to. I, I used to climb mountains a lot when I was younger, and and uh, there's a group of twelve people that I'd climb my first mountain with, which was more than five thousand meters above sea level, so a higher mountain, a real real mountain, in my opinion. Um, and the twelve people in that group, I have not seen them since I was a teenager. But if one of them walked in right now, I would get emotional and hug them because mm -hmm. we've been through twelve, eighteen, twelve to eighteen days of walking fifty kilometers every day with a 40 kilo backpack. Uh, we had some older people in the group because we were, I think I was 16 and everyone was around 16-ish. Um, and we had a couple of teachers with us and one of the teachers uh, split open his knee <sighs> and I w was one of the guys who helped fix it. Uh, and that's when I found out that blood doesn't bother me <laughs> at all. Uh, you know, and, and I think and I think there's kind of moments of like deep um, struggle uh, for a higher purpose, mm -hmm. you know, for whatever. And, and, and I think uh, most entrepreneurs and most, uh, most startup founders uh, want to have an impact in the world, right? Mm -hmm. And, and if, you, if you are in this uh, group, <laughs> which has some shared values, not everything is uh, shared, of course, and maybe, you know, some things are not shared and disagreements and all that, of course, but you kind of have been through something very unique, mm -hmm. you know, and, and maybe that doesn't happen again. Right. And hopefully, hopefully you continue to build your startup or you're like Justin Khan, whatever, like six times YC, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Sorry, Justin. Uh, but I mean, you know, there's a lot of really cool founders. Um, and yeah, I mean, startups have become so much more mainstream. When I started my first company in university, my university uh, in, 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 in Rotterdam, um, RSM, Rotterdam School of Management, uh, I had to drop out because um, I didn't get enough. I didn't get the right grades, and I said, "Hey, I'm really busy building a startup. Look at the look at the you know, this is our Excel sheet. We're making a lot of money. I'm not going. I'm not partying. I'm you know working hard. Can I just get an extension on this one uh, course? Fucking microeconomics, <laughs> uh, which was a Danish professor, by the way. I hated Denmark for a while after that. And and the, the he said, the, no. the guy was like, no, no, sorry, uh, you have to, you have to, you have to like leave. Uh, and 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 I and every time I s and and I was like you know I was like okay go fuck yourself like I'm I'm gonna get out and and luckily I found another school that would take my credits and then I graduated there and it was okay you know uh, I'm Indian living in Europe I can't just like leave university and hang around <laughs> I have to mm. do something uh, you know for my visa at the time but what was fun what was what was interesting to me like when I see ads of this university like promoting entrepreneurship. I'm like, mm. it doesn't matter, <laughs> like, because you don't really know what actually it takes. And in, in my 
when I started the company then, there was one other guy who had a successful, who had a startup, and it was only me and him who would like once in a while take a walk and talk about the struggles. And his startup was very different to mine. Mine was a platform, a two-sided marketplace. His was the service company. So it's not the same, but we were doing something different. We were not going to like stand in line in McKinsey or whatever. We were trying something different. And eventually the startup was sort of successful. We had a small exit. But, you know, to me, I missed that. Mm -hmm. I, because being a startup founder is very lonely. Yeah. You know, and even if you have co-founders, uh, you know, it's not enough because in a way, you know, like you, it's great to have good co-founders, of course, right? But Very I think, important, yeah. yeah, but I think you also want to have a, like a couple of people <laughs> you can just go have a beer with and bitch about sometimes mm -hmm. or just like get advice and on. you have deep trust. Yeah, and, and that, no, you we're not going to, yeah, exactly, we're that, you know, it's not going to be come, come back and bite you later or, and I think you said, you said the word knowledge network, right? But I would, I would almost go as far as like wisdom network mm -hmm. because I think, I think like there's a lot of knowledge on the internet that you can get, but the stuff you're talking about, you know, is is like life saving, right? You could you could change the the, the, the future of your company mm -hmm. based on a post you read in that in that forum, right? Exactly. So I think that's a that's a big impact. Um, it's over an hour and a half, <laughs> so we've been we've been going at it. Um, now we got to Web three, man. Yeah, Web three, exactly. Another hour and a half. <laughs> um, I also want to plug your podcast, The Right Track. Yeah. Uh, uh, people should check it out. You have some pretty cool guests on there. Um, Absolutely. And uh, if you want to talk a bit about that and then and then we can wrap. Yeah, I'm just, this is uh, like I was sharing, like obviously I'm really passionate about the sort of technical solutions that we can build um, for data cultures, but it's, uh, it's you know, it, it's not an engineering problem first, it's a culture problem um, to be able to make good decisions based on data. And so from my perspective, that's ultimately what it's all about and what really drives me personally. And so, for example, there was a period in time back in uh, before I started Avo, I just really wanted to consult uh, just from that angle. Um, but and I promised myself, like, I am never going into the data space again because I was like fully burned out of it. Little did I know. <laughs> but um, so. You know, from my perspective, it's so much about building that culture, and that was ultimately my biggest fight. You know, that was the biggest growth opportunity. I mean, all of those tools that we built, yes, they were a lot of struggle, and I learned, developed a lot of hard skills as well along the way. But all of the relationship building and the soft skills and, like, you know, navigating, you know, even like a small startup, you know, you have to navigate some relationships and and. Uh, I wouldn't want to say politics, but you have to navigate relationships um, in order to get things done that you need to get done because there are so many things happening and so many balls in the air. And so this is what I'm really passionate about, like helping people build good data cultures. Um, and so that's what I wanted to talk about with like all of these data leaders. So we've had Maura Church from Patreon and um, Elena from Peloton and, you know, uh, Josh Wills, who built the original logging infrastructure at Slack. And one of the upcoming one is with um, Eric Bernardson, who um, built the recommendation engine at Spotify. And so, like, really incredible data leaders who know, like, I'm trying to pull the same thing as what we're talking about with the founder to founder, like a data data scientist to data scientist, you know the struggles of running a data, a data team. Um, and so here's where you can come to learn about what it takes to build a good data culture. Cool. It's called The Right Track? Yeah, The Right Track. Uh, people should go definitely check it out. Um, 
thank you so much for your time Steph I really appreciate it it's yeah, been it's been super kind and uh, uh, yeah let's uh, let's talk again soon uh, for sure two coming up yeah uh, <laughs> And I don't think I don't think I'm a good fit for your podcast because I don't know shit about data. Well, but, uh, it's always fun to have a good crossover. <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's uh, let's talk. And uh, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, take care and enjoy Copenhagen today. Thank yeah. you. Bye, everybody. Bye, take care. Ciao.